0: Wonderful to see you today. We're in Genesis chapter 47 is where we are. Genesis 47. Give you a chance to get there. A great chapter. Here's how it begins. Verse 1. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh then, which obligates us to think about what came before. And what came before was Joseph preparing his brothers For their audience with Pharaoh. Remember when he said to them, when he asks you what you do, fess up. Just tell them what you do. You're shepherds. And that'll be in your best interest because the Egyptians don't like shepherds. And they'll put you in a segregated community, which is actually in your best interest. Because that way, you won't be uh, tempted to take on the Egyptian gods as you were in the land of Canaan. And so that's kind of what's happening. So uh, Joseph leads the way to Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks, their herds, all that they have, they've come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they're in the land of Goshen. Now that's where Joseph wants them to settle. I think he's planting the thought in Pharaoh's mind now so that Pharaoh will claim it as his idea. And then it says he, Joseph, took five men, From among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh so Joseph had more than five brothers didn't he so he took five why why didn't he take them all why did he take only five anyone have any any idea yeah neither do I (laughs) I, I'm (laughs) you know this is I mean let me ask you this Uh, in your Bible what are the names of these five what what are they You don't have that in yours? Yeah, not in mine either. We don't know what their names are. So this is one of the things about reading the Bible. Did you know the Bible is not designed to tell us everything we may want to know? The Bible contains everything God wants us to know now. And so that's the way it is. And so asking questions of the text is really, really wonderful. It causes you to focus on it. As long as you don't feel like you have to come away with answers to everything. We don't know why five and not the whole group of brothers. Some say because five was a number of significance to the Egyptians. Maybe. I don't know this for sure. I've tried to look into it and can't find anything to really substantiate it. Uh, Some people say, well, Joseph didn't want to take the full complement of his brothers because that might intimidate Pharaoh. He might think, wow, these Hebrews are a threat to me. And he may not respond kindly. I don't know. It's, these are just all different thoughts. At any rate, he took five from his, among his brothers, and he presented them uh, to Pharaoh. Now, what's interesting to me is this. They were shepherds. The Egyptians despised shepherds. They were nomadic. The Egyptians did not trust nomadic people. They were Hebrews. Uh, the Egyptians thought all people groups other than themselves were lesser people the Egyptians saw themselves to be direct descendants of the gods. Nobody else was. So uh, the Hebrews did not have a lot to commend them. On top of it, these Hebrews, Joseph's brothers, you recall, betrayed him. You remember they threw him in a pit, then they sold him to a passing caravan as a slave. Uh, he was carried to Egypt and all the rest. And So Joseph being human, this would be a wonderful time for him to uh, divorce himself from his any association with his brothers. They're not popular in Egypt, number one, and they betrayed him, number two. He could have said, I've never seen these people before in my life. But he doesn't do that. He, the second uh, most powerful man in Egypt, identifies unashamedly with this group of thoroughly human brothers. Remember, we spoke about many aspects in the life of Joseph paralleling Uh, ultimate um, fulfillment in the Lord Jesus' life. This is another one of those, Joseph being unashamed to identify with his brothers. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one Father. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. Just as Joseph was not ashamed to identify with his wayward, uh, rebellious brethren, so too the Lord Jesus, our big brother, is not ashamed to identify with us. And then it says in verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? And that's exactly what Joseph anticipated. He's just a wise administrator, and he prepared His brothers for this, they had kind of a script. And so they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds. That's pretty good. They're doing just what he suggested they do, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we've come to sojourn. Does your Bible say sojourn or anything like it? That's an important concept. You'll see it repeated um, as we continue in Genesis, and you've seen it already. It means at this point, Joseph's brothers, his family, his father, realize they're just passing through. They don't plan on staying in Egypt permanently. Uh, they'll be there quite a while, but, but still they're con- considering themselves sojourners passing through. Uh, they have to be there for a while, but their ultimate place, their destination, is the place of promise, the land of Canaan. Not the land uh, of Egypt, so they conducted themselves in this life as if this life is temporary. So too should we. I mentioned to you in the military, uh, we had a uh, in the military everything is inac- is acronyms, acronyms, and you lose you lose sight actually. There's a big book in the army. We had a big book like this of of military acronyms. What do they all stand for? That's how thick it is. And then they change it every three weeks, so you need like a new book. <laughs> so. Uh, one uh, abbreviation is TDY. That means temporary duty. So if you're at a place, it, you're, you're, you have an assignment, a special assignment, s- someone says to you, what are you doing here? You say, I'm, I'm just TDY. I'm not permanent here. I'm just, it's just temporary duty. Then we have another uh, a collection of letters, PCS. That means permanent change of station. That means when you get orders to another place, you're going to be what's called a permanent party. You're going to be there for an extended time. You say, no, I'm, 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 I have PCS orders to some place. Uh, folks, we as Christians are on TDY here. We have to know that. This is just temporary duty assigned. A- and we're waiting for our PCS orders, our permanent change of station to our place of promise, which is going to be heaven. So, so I mean, we, we have to conduct ourselves here as sojourners. And as such, that's probably why you and I are, are uncomfortable. We're foreigners. The world is becoming increasingly uh, a foreign place to us. Its value system, convictions, thinking is increasingly uh, uh, coming to be antagonistic to the mind of Christ, the mind that we have uh, because he, he gave us his mind. And so in case you're feeling the rub of, of being here, that's a good sign. Uh, that means you're a sojourner just as these folks were on their way to the promised land. And so they say uh, we're shepherds, we and our fathers, and we've come to sojourn in the land because there's no pasture in your servants for your servants' flocks. The famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. So that's what they say. Now, when they say we're sojourners, I think they are remembering a promise that God made to Abraham a long time ago or uh, Hundreds of years, actually, perhaps before this in Genesis chapter 15, 13 and 14, it it says God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. So a long time before this, God gave this promise You people are going to be strangers, sojourners in a foreign land, a land that is not yours. You'll be there for 400 years. Don't despair. I will bring you out. I'll deal with the people who subjugate you. And by the way, when you leave, you'll leave in much better shape than when you came. Now, I think at this point, uh, uh, Joseph's brothers are are looking back on this promise in the word of God, as should we. Do you know we've been promised uh, entrance into heaven New Jerusalem, our place of promise. It's a, where I go, I prepare a place for you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All of these things, you know. Uh, we, too, have to cling to those promises, and that will get us through our temporary duty here. So verse 5, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land, let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable man among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. <laughs> so, so Pharaoh gives Joseph way beyond what Joseph wanted. He not only is going to place them in the best of the land, Goshen, he also gives his brothers an employment opportunity. He says to, to them, if you've if you got any good guys, they can watch my livestock. I suppose he's thinking, wow, I've really profited with this Hebrew Joseph, in my service, maybe his brothers will bring blessing as well. Now, folks, I want you to know this. During this very time, uh, in the land of Canaan, which uh, you know is is modern-day Israel, in the land of Canaan, armies, both from the north and the south, were using it as a highway. It connected continents, Europe and Africa and Asia. So it was a good Um, route to travel on the way to battle. So armies from the south would travel through, armies from the north. And I think God in his sovereignty realized there is no way for Israel to be fruitful and multiply, to become a uh, great and uh, viable nation in that situation, for crying out loud. So one of the reasons I think God, through famine, moved them out of Canaan and into Egypt so that they could be kind of enwombed in Goshen. Israel served as kind of a womb for the nation of Israel. They went down with 70 people. And uh, folks who are good with math compute things and uh, suggest that when they left, they had in excess of 2 million. And so that probably would not have been the case if God allowed them to remain in Canaan. They would have been slaughtered by invading uh, armies. They had no military force. They couldn't resist And they had very few numbers, you see. So this was like um, an opportunity for them to be constituted as a great nation. The point is, God is sovereign. And he can make use of all manner of things, including a famine, to bring about his good purposes. God had a purpose for Israel going into Egypt. He's in control. So verse 7, then Joseph brought his father Jacob. See what it says he brought his father Jacob in the Hebrew, uh, the sense is actually that he uh, helped his father, Jacob, to stand, which implies that Jacob was so advanced in years that he was frail and probably needed some support and assistance just in standing before a Pharaoh. So Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. How in the world do you get audience with the uh, most powerful person on earth, except the Son gets you there. How in the world could we stand before the Father on high except the Son gets us there? Can you see all these parallels between Joseph and the Lord Jesus? So Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Does your Bible say that? And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That's one of those things we could read quickly and pass through. Uh, But it's quite remarkable. Uh, Folks, Hebrews uh, chapter 7, verse 7 says, Without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. This is implying, therefore... That Jacob <laughs> is greater than Pharaoh. This is remarkable because Pharaoh himself was considered to be a god. He was uh, thought to be a, um, the human embodiment of Ra, the Egyptian sun god. And he permitted Jacob to bless him, which seems to imply he deferred in some way to the... Um, Uh, um, greatness of an aged Hebrew shepherd. Remarkable. How could this be? Uh, In terms of material wealth, Pharaoh for certain was Jacob's superior. He far exceeded just about everyone in the then known world in the accumulation of material goods. But when it came to spiritual riches, Jacob was the greater. In blessing Pharaoh, he probably uh, asked God to profit him, to make him to be fruitful, to care for him. This kind of access to a personal deity is not what Pharaoh possessed. That's not the way it worked with Pharaoh's pantheon of gods. They are not approachable. They're whimsical. They fight. The good gods of Egypt fight against the bad gods of Egypt. On certain days, the bad gods prevail, and that explains why you have hurricanes and earthquakes and uh, drought and floods and all the rest. You see, it's just whimsical. But now he's being introduced through Jacob to a god who is there, He's transcendent but there, and he has kind intentions, though he is powerful. He is benevolent, and so in this, Jacob was his superior. What he lacked materially, he had spiritually. Folks, you and I have to see ourselves that way. We have something to offer everybody regarding that person's station in life. They may be greater than us. They may be lower on the societal totem pole. Still, we are bearers of good gifts. The Bible says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Silver and gold, have I not? Remember the apostles said that? But such as we have, we give to you. We have capacities to bless the population in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of our stock portfolio, we're rich spiritually. Jacob saw himself at that this point that way, so too should we. So Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? What's how old he is? Why? Well, he knows he's an elderly man. He wants more specific information. Why? In that culture. Uh, older people were respected. It's different than our culture, isn't it?
1: Yes, brother
0: Mike. Oh, that's a great observation Michael is asking. Uh, uh, there was longevity amongst the people in Israel. And uh, Mike's question is that... Uh, Consistent with the length of years in other cultures? No, it exceeded it. The records that we have indicate they died younger in other cultures. Yeah. So, so uh, um, Pharaoh uh, respects this uh, elderly man. He wants to know how old he is. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning, there's that word again, are 130. And then he says this, few and unpleasant do you have the word evil in yours? It doesn't mean evil in the moral sense. It means um, unfortunate. Few and unfortunate or unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. So his grandfather, Abraham, lived to 175. His father, Isaac, lived to 180. So he's right. They, uh, their span on earth exceeded his. And then when he talks about his days being uh, uh, few and unpleasant, he's right. He's being honest here. And they were unpleasant largely because of his own doing. Remember, this is Jacob one time supplanter, deceiver. Remember the trouble he got into with Laban, his father-in-law, and then he saw his brother. This is all due to his scheming and so on and so forth. And he uh, He's being honest about things, you know. Life has been rough for him, and he thinks it's short. Verse 10, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. There it is again. He blessed him upon coming into his presence, and now he's blessing him as he takes leave of him. He blessed Pharaoh, and he went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses as pharaoh had ordered does your bible say something about ramses yeah that's an equivalent uh, term for goshen it came to be associated with a ramses which one i don't know there's just a bunch of them i don't really know all i know is uh ramses the city is located about 65 miles north east of present-day cairo that's where they lived Now get verse 12. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food. The son provided sustenance for the family. This was done according to their little ones. Joseph is a good man, isn't he? But God is gooder. (laughs) A good God set up Joseph to perform this function, and he used grotesque, evil circumstances to bring it about. The betrayal by his own family got him into Egypt, but God made use of it anyway, always seeing this son to be the savior of his people. and Don't you see? The father's done the same thing with the Lord Jesus, the only begotten son. My goodness. Long before the cross, he was brutalized, humiliated, and disgraced, and falsely accused, and misrepresented, and attacked. He went through all of this, and you say, oh, no, this is so unfortunate, this is so terrible. No, the Father set it up, set the Son up so that the Son could be the source of our sustenance, so that the Son could save us, don't you see? God is sovereign. He's in. This is important for us to know because the world's going crazy. It's unstable. It's unpredictable. It's nuts. When I was reading the other day, no, I, I watched this on the news or something. I don't know where I got it. Michael Moore and other folks are commenting on, you know, what's happening in Baltimore. I mean, Michael Moore, he needs to be prayed for. This guy is just filled with darkness. But Morgan Freeman Great actor. Wasn't he in Driving Miss Daisy or something like that? Morgan Freeman is so gifted. is nuts. (laughs) (coughs) He made the statement that uh, both of them are calling for uh, law enforcement, all police, to be disarmed. Disarmed. By the way, that's what our Egypt wants, anarchy and no bounds nor rules can you imagine if suddenly law enforcement was handicapped in that way could you imagine morgan freeman would not be able to get safely home i don't care who he's driving <laughs> <coughs> so yeah, this is an intelligent man i have no criticism about his iq it's such craziness such darkness to think that's the that's the that's the problem you know what i mean it's just a misdiagnosis of what's happening in the day. Uh, so you have a tendency to, to, to get a little discouraged you realize, wait just a moment. God is high and lifted up. That's why we call him the most high God. He is transcendent. He sees everything coming. He sees the end from the beginning. He can use all things to accomplish his redemptive purposes, and that's what he's doing. So verse 12, this is the situation of the Israelites. They're being provided for freely. They're probably not paying for their food. And now in contrast to it, check out the situation of the Egyptians in verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. What a contrast in the situation experienced, verse 12, by the Israelites, verse 13, by the Egyptians. Jacob and his family, this is ironic, those sojourners, they're not in a land of their own, were plentifully fed at no cost while the Egyptians are dying in their own land. Folks, the Bible does not promise us material prosperity. That's just not true. The Bible promises us to be spiritually blessed with the spiritual blessings found in the heavenly places. So this does not mean that we Christians can count on never being hungry, never being uh, ill, never being unemployed. No, what we can count on is being fed spiritually. Unlike those apart from Christ, Christians can still receive a cancer diagnosis. Christians can lose a loved one. Christians can suffer economically. Christians can and are being persecuted. So how does this apply? How, what is the difference between God's people and those who ain't? It's the way Christians respond to all this. It's the way Christians live and die. We hurt We can, like everybody else, but we manage to find our Father in the hurt. And we manage somehow by His grace to remember that he's sovereign and using all things for the good. Oh, we hurt, we cry, we fall into despair. I got it. But then somehow we don't move. We're moved past it. And we look back. We examine the past from the present, and we say, look what God has done. Look how he brought me forth. There's a difference. We live differently. We die differently. We don't die in despair and hopelessness we die with a song in our mouth good night it no longer has the last word it the last enemy death has been defeated by jesus who rose up from death good night when we die we go to be with him that's not such a bad deal so 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 there is a distinction god makes it between those who are his and those who ain't so verse 14, here's what Joseph did. He gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. He's an administrator, second in command. And so he's, uh, he's making his employer prosper. Now, when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food For why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. So things change. They have no money anymore to buy food. They make their appeal to Joseph. Verse 16, Joseph said, give up your livestock, and I'll give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. Is he exploiting the poor? Some say yes. Hang in there. We're going to discuss it once we get through a few more verses. Please notice, uh, however, at this point, they're willing to give give up their livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock. That year, good night. This is a big deal to give up your livestock, but I guess if your life is at stake, you have no choice but to do it. That's what they do. But the year passes, there's still famine. So now here's what happens, verse 18. When that year was ended... They came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land by us and our land for food? And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be why didn't Joseph just give him food? Because it wasn't his to give. He's under orders. Pharaoh owns it all. And so notice, though it looks like Joseph perhaps is being heavy-handed, notice it's their idea. It's the people's idea. Please accept what's left, our land and us. So verse 20, Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. He didn't coat uh, or line his pockets. He didn't pay off his cronies, as many in our day are prone to do in this situation. No, he enriched his employer. They belonged to Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Why? Well, because that's where the granaries were. They'd be closer to the uh, storage houses of grain where they could more readily have access to food. Verse 22, only the land of the priests, Egyptian priests, he didn't buy. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh. They had all kinds of temple priests and Pharaoh provided for them and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them therefore they didn't sell their land then Joseph said to the people behold I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh now here is seed for you and you may sow the land at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own uh, for seed of the field and for your food and those of your households and as food for your little ones and so he taxed them one-fifth you say that's what he what he says Uh, is that a lot no as you study the historical records the surrounding nations taxed their uh, people uh, in a much uh, higher uh, percentage than one-fifth I mean I bet there's a lot of people here who would be thrilled to have to pay only 20% of your income in taxes Most people here pay in excess of that. Now, uh, I don't know what you think of Joseph, but let's figure out what those people thought of him. They would be in the best position to evaluate the rightness or wrongness of his deeds. So look at verse 25. So they said, you have saved our lives. Folks, they didn't see him to be an exploiter, a tyrant, a money grubber. They saw him to be a savior. You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. They submit to his plan, by the way, which they suggested he did not. And so they became slaves. But be careful. Slavery then was different than the slavery in more modern days today and in our past here in America. This was not... um, This was not a reduction of a human being to a piece of property. It's different. In fact, you may be surprised to know God actually has a provision for this in Leviticus. If you read Leviticus, you can do it on your own. Chapter 25, verses 14 and on, you'll find out that it was regarded as a great act of charity and kindness to buy the land of the destitute and to take them on as your indentured servants. You were not mistreated. You were not degraded, as is the case with modern-day slavery. You were taken on, provided with sustenance, land for crops and uh, all the rest until your lot in life economically would change, and then you would be set free, and then a number chose not to the, because they, <laughs> they had a good deal, <laughs> some felt, with where they were, and they could volunteer to stay on. So this is not the same kind of subjugation that more modern-day slavery um, is. So in verse 26 now, it says that Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. That's the tax rate. They had a flat tax. That would be good for us, by the way. You did your taxes recently, right? Did you do it alone? Very few are able to do it. Are you kidding? You need like an advanced degree. That's crazy. That uh, faithful, reliable American taxpayers who want to pay their taxes can't figure out how to do it. Are you kidding me? But don't worry, there's always the IRS. You can call them and get through to Nobody. (laughs) And when you do, and hear what the somebody tells you, and you look for a second, third, and fourth opinion from other IRS representatives, you will get four diametrically opposed opinions. The experts can't figure out the tax code. How the heck are we supposed to do it? Just nuts, absolutely nuts. Yes, Randy, I hope you agree with me. Okay, good. Oh yeah, Yeah, I use TurboTax. TurboTax? (laughs) Yeah, TurboTax is good. Great. So we have a CPA, a certified public accountant, who goes online. (laughs) Thank you, Randy. I feel, I feel, I feel so much better now. (laughs) Just crazy. I, I I have my taxes prepared, and uh, one year I paid more for the tax preparation than uh, than than what I had to pay in taxes than what I own. Crazy. (laughs) Nuts. Okay. But anyway, uh, so here's what happens. Verse 27. uh, Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Oh boy, did they ever. By the time they leave, they'll have in excess of 2 million people and a bunch of stuff (laughs) to take with them, you see. God knew what he was doing. If he left them in Canaan, they'd intermarry with the Canaanites. They were already doing it. And they would take on the Canaanite gods. If he moves them to Egypt, they'll intermarry with the Egyptians and worship the Egyptian gods. But if he moves them to Egypt and causes the Egyptians to be repulsed by them, the Egyptians will want nothing to do with them. And thus they will be safe in Goshen until they can be strong enough to be led out to the promised land. So that's what's going on. So verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. He thought he was dying, uh, you know, early, uh, and 30, but he lives for another 17 years. A lot of people go through that, don't, don't they? It's a very interesting thing. I have certain relatives. You know, they're, they're sort of always dying. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here they are. So um, just, that's just how it is. So he, he has another 17 years. It says the length of Jacob's life was 147. Uh, When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph. He said to him, please, if I've found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh. Doesn't that sound weird? Place your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. What's up with that? It's an oath. Uh, The father is going to ask the son to swear an oath to him and um, to show your uh, willingness to uh, comply with the standards of the oath. There's a lot of symbolic stuff like, you know, raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing, but do you put your hand on the Bible? Do, I, do we still use Bibles in courts of law? I don't know what we do. All right, put your hand on the Koran and tell you, <laughs> you know, it's probably more prevalent. But anyway, um, uh, so that's what it was. Now, the hand under the thigh, what is that all about? Well, we don't know exactly, except that's the uh, area of virility. Uh, productiveness, reproduction, stuff like that. And so it was kind of thought, look at here, you who put your hand under my thigh, swearing to keep your promise, if you don't, may the children you have, if I don't have any, um, turn out bad or, or or beat up on you or something. Or, or if they don't, then if I have children, may my children beat up on you. A lot of people think it was something like that, kind of weird, huh? But that's that's sort of what it, what it was. Stan, did you have your hand up? Yeah, uh, I was thinking, I don't know uh, the sinew that God touched when he wrestled with Jacob. Oh. Is that anywhere in the vicinity of the Not exactly. Of the and the a, 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 a real good thought, but not exactly. That was the sinew of the hip. Uh, so it would be like, you know where you get sciatica or something like that? Everyone has that, don't they? at a certain point. It would be there. It's like a strong part of the human body until it starts to hurt. So it would be this would be the outside. That would be like the inside. I don't want to be too graphic, but it's in the area of the genitals. That actually is the case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just reading. (laughs) What can I tell you? I sure hope he washed his hands. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. So so there you have it. So, and what is it that he wants his son to swear to? It's this: Please don't bury me in Egypt. What? Come on, what's the big deal? Just get it over with. You know, you're n- you're in the ground. It's over. What's the, what's the thing? No, he, verse thirty. He says, no, "No, no." Jacob says, "When I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt. Take my bones out of here and bury me in their burial place." Well, where's their burial place? It's called the Cave of Machpelah. Machpelah, Abram bought it. That's the first uh, parcel of, of land he bought in the Holy Land. It's in present-day Hebron, Abraham was buried there. Isaac was buried there. Jacob wants to be buried there. And Joseph, it, he says, and he said, I'll do as you've said. Well, his father wants to be sure. So verse 31, he said, swear to me. So, so he swore to him. So what's up with all this? This is a great act of faith by Jacob, who's been a largely faithless man perhaps for the better part of his life, but be hopeful. We change. I mean, we got, I mean, God changes us. He's different, and uh, this is quite a glorious manifestation of his faith towards the end of his life. You see, by faith, Jacob saw his destiny and the destiny of his people not to be in Egypt, but to be in a place of promise, you see. And so his bones being there would be... A ready reminder: You're sojourners in Egypt. And I want to tell you why this is such an act of faith. Let me tell you: Jacob and his crew are doing pretty good in Egypt. They're getting, they have lots of food. They're multiplying. They're in the best part of the land. You know, they have a contact with the guy who's the second in command, Joseph. You know, things are really good. What could have happened? Jacob could have said, "You know, I know God promised us." you know, this land and all that kind of stuff. But Egypt is, I'm comfortable here. And he could have lost sight of his priorities, but he wouldn't do that to his children and grandchildren. He wanted them to remember, you're not going to be here forever. Blessing, your destiny, your future is in a place of promise. It's not in Egypt, even though Egypt has been pretty good for you. Now, Jacob, he, he had a bad time in Canaan and a good time in Egypt. He could have caved in. But he didn't. He remembered his ultimate destiny, and that's what we have to do too. Folks, in a sense, we're in Egypt, and we may be doing pretty good. The poorest of us is really rich as the world reckons it. But we must not get so comfortable here uh, to the extent that we forget where our destiny is. It's in our place of promise. It's not real estate. It's heaven. God wants us to live here with heaven heavenly expectation. And at the point of death, he wants us to communicate that to our children and grandchildren. So uh, I, I don't want to be unduly morbid, but would you please start preparing for the way you die right now? You know, prepare for it. Hope you're living in a certain way. Hope I am too in a good way. That's a good example for our kids or grandkids and others. But make sure you die right. You see, those who have no hope of a place of promise die in despair confusion panic and fear don't do that to your children and grandchildren there's no reason for it god told you what your destiny is me too when we're absent here we're present with the lord are you kidding that's kind of a good deal i tell you what our future holds you either die first or jesus comes to get you that's pretty good stuff you know what i mean so so when you're about ready to die, you got some breath left, please remind your children. Tell them, don't weep for me. Are you kidding? I can't wait. Boom, in an instant, I will be in the very presence of the one who loved me so much that he died for me. He saved me. I hope I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope I'm worthy of it, whether I am or not. Based upon his merits, I know where I'm going. I hope for sure you are as certain of your eternal situation as I am. And if you are, we'll see each other again. I mean you should be preaching up a storm and you should smile, and you should sing, albeit off key. It doesn't matter. Just start singing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I told my wife I want that song at my funeral if I go before before her. Okay, so please make note of it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a literal song. But don't you understand, uh, he, he had a rough life, this guy. He was a deceiver, a supplanter, and... But man, he's going out with a blaze of glory. Look look at this. Uh, The last part of verse 31. Then Israel, that's Jacob, bowed in worship at the head of his bed. You want to know something? Uh, Later on, because he lives for 17 more years, uh, he dies in an act of worship and becomes the only person Listed in Hebrews 11 to be commended as a worshiper. Listen, Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. We should live as worshipers and die as worshipers. Let those gathered around the bed, if that's how it happens, let them see you worshiping God. That doesn't necessarily mean singing. That means to attribute worth. Tell them he's given me life and he's promised me life anew. Uh, Tell them what an adventure it has been to walk with the Lord Jesus. And I can't wait to say thank you face to face. He's had such an interest in my life that he's used good times and especially bad times to conform me into his image. And I have no concerns or fears because he's taken all my sins and he put them behind his back. He has separated me from my sins by him taking my sins on him. I'm ready to go. Are you? Are you? I hope so. I hope so. I really want to see you again. Go out as a worshiper. Make it in the list of those in the faith honor roll in Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, sir. No. Total distinction. The Jews were not messed with. They got food for free. <laughs> the sun provided for them. The Egyptians didn't mess because they didn't want to get cooties. They didn't want to go into Goshen and get Hebrew cooties. Seriously, the Goshen ghetto saved Israel from contamination. Yeah. Folks, let's pray. Good stuff. Yes, Bob. (laughs) Yes, it is, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Folks, do you notice that the things in the Old Testament are just not of historical value? They apply to us today. As God was with Jacob, so he is with us. He can make use of injustices, evils, and uh, uh, all kinds of things foisted upon us for the good. He's bringing us forth as a people with a hopeful, heavenly expectation. He's changing us just as he changed us jacob through his grace and he's going to one day present us before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach we're not there yet so god has a lot of work to do doesn't he on us but the promise of the bible is that he'll finish it he who began a good work in you will complete it until the time of the lord jesus so lord we bow before you thank you for your word we have your word on it it being the promise the hopeful promise of a place of promise, which is our destiny. A place in which we will be in your very presence and worship you without fatigue, without selfishness, without distraction throughout eternity. We yearn for the day when we serve you with purity of motive. We don't possess it just yet, but then we will. It's a place of promise. Thank you for preparing us for it. Thank you for giving an opportunity for our others to join with us as sojourners on our way to our permanent home. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live here, not getting so involved and invested in the things of this world, that when it's time to see you, we're reluctant to go. No, Lord. Help us to look forward to it with great anticipation and to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Two minutes to spare my heavens. This is really something. See you next week.